0: Welcome to The Lit Review, a podcast sparked by a moment of urgency, recognizing mass political education as key for our liberation struggles. Every week, your hosts, Paige May and Monica Trinidad, will chat with people we love and respect about relevant books for the movement. Everything from history to theories around gender to sci-fi and beyond. We know that political study is not accessible for a variety of reasons. The high cost of books, academic jargon, the failures of our underfunded school systems, time barriers, etc. Our hope is that this podcast helps address some of those issues, making critical knowledge more accessible to the masses. Think SparkNotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Paige May. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Lit Review. Uh, Paige here. Today, we have a very special episode. This is going to be different than uh, any other episode that we have done so far. We are here with Dr. Fanny Rushing, who's going to be talking about actually uh, six books, I believe. Uh, And and this is because uh, we're we're so blessed to have uh, Dr. Rushing here to talk with us about not only, you know, these six specific books, but also how they fit into a lifetime of work in the civil rights movement and the, the struggle for, for, the freedom struggle. Uh, and so this is going to be a long conversation. It's going to, um, it, we might split it up into two parts. We'll see. We're going we're gonna to see where this takes us. But I'd love to start, if you could introduce yourself and just tell us, you know, who are you, what do you do, and why?
1: Okay. Well, um, I... Uh, <laughs> I'm a local Chicagoan. I was born uh, just uh, about three blocks away from where I live now. Uh, I keep saying I didn't get very far in life because I was born here in Hyde Park and hope to die here uh, as well. It's where I began my political work uh, and where I continue to do political work. I started doing, Political work when I was 16. Uh, by the time I was 17, uh, I had become uh, completely fascinated by the student sit-in movement. And uh, I'm sure it was actually the Montgomery bus boycott that first uh awakened me to the Southern Movement. But It was the student movement and the student sit-in that really indicated a place for me. Uh, The uh, Montgomery bus boycott uh, was one of the first parts of the movement to be televised uh, so intently. And I can remember watching this with my father when he would come home from work. We would rush right in to see Mm -hmm. the news and to see... Um, how, uh, this was progressing, and my father kept saying to see what happens when people come together, to see what people can do, how they can make change. And I think that really always stuck with me, that when people come together, they really can make change. So it was wonderful to see the success of the Montgomery Bus Boycott, but the question is, you know, where do I fit into that picture? But with the student sit-in movement, I could very much see um, a role for myself. So before I left high school, I got involved in doing sympathy pickets for um, the southern movement, which was a movement to desegregate lunch counters in the south. And that's how I came to, uh, came into contact with the SNCC office here in Chicago. Because initially, um, I had been getting my picket signs from Quakers. And, um, someone said, well, you know, where they have really good signs is at the SNCC office. I didn't know what SNCC really was or how... Um, how it related to Chicago, but I soon found out and, um, started going to the office. By that time I had graduated from high school and started at the University of Illinois, and because I came in to get picket signs, uh, they asked me if I would be willing to sponsor a speaker. From the South on, on the campus at the University of Illinois, which was then at Navy Pier. Well, I found out that in order to do that, you had to be a recognized student group. And so I began organizing a Friends of SNCC group on campus and uh, had a, a speaker, Ivan Hodonaldson, who's now dead uh, to come and speak. And when I heard him speak, I knew even more exactly where my place was in, uh, the movement. And so, uh, decided that what I would do is to, instead of having a temporary Friends of SNCC group, that I have a permanent Friends of SNCC group on campus. Well. In order to do that, I guess that was really my first uh, experience with organizing, because you had to reach out to other student groups. And then, of course, you had to convince the university that uh, this was something that um, should happen. To make a long story short, uh, in order to do that, uh, to make the university realize the importance of the group, um, I organized a sit-in in the provost office, and after the sit-in, uh, we did get, uh, the Friends of State Group established on campus, but, uh, the provost told me that, um, essentially I could take my show on the road anytime I wanted to, And I had come to the point where, in that moment, I couldn't see where going to college was important because so much was going on in the world that I wanted to be a part of on a daily basis. So I ended up leaving school and ultimately going to work full-time for Smith. Well, um, I had applied... Uh, to go to the University of Mexico uh, when I graduated. And I had been accepted, but my parents said, oh, no, (laughs) you know, this is another country, this is too far, you need to just stay here. Well, many was the day they wished that I had gone to Mexico because it was in staying here that, um, you know, I determined and this was the place for me, and I can't—I um, can't even begin to express how exciting it was. I mean, you couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't sleep at night because there was so much to do, and uh, you know, you wanted to be at every demonstration. You wanted to be at every meeting, and the people you're talking about—what uh, you learn just through meeting people—the people I was meeting. Goodness, you couldn't imagine that such extraordinary extraordinary people existed and um, I noticed in looking at your your archive uh, that you read Charles Payne's book I got uh, I got the Light of Freedom, which is one of the best books uh, written on the civil rights movement and it certainly captures, uh, what was the essence of SNCC in relationship to, um, participatory democracy, uh, grassroots organizing, uh, working with local leadership, uh, intergenerational alliances. I, it was just such an exciting time. Uh, there was no school anywhere in the world that could have offered anything, uh, any more exciting. Uh, than Snick, it's where I first met Ella Baker, and uh, oh. the reason um, I chose this book uh, to to start the discussion is because if I hadn't gone to work for Snick, I would never, never have come into contact uh, with uh, an Ella Baker or a Fannie Lou Hamer. We're going to talk about in in just a minute. But if you can imagine being in the presence of women like this, and this particular book, which is um, the second major book on Ms. Baker, the first one, Fundy, uh, written by Joanne Grant, uh, was written by uh, a former SNCC member. Uh, and, of course, what she captured in uh, that book was really the essence of Ms. Baker as a teacher, uh, and in this book, uh, Barbara Ransby, as a historian, uh, has um, uh, the long read on this, if you will, because she traces Ella Baker's life from the very beginning to the end. And now I think that one of the most important things that I took away from knowing Miss Baker uh, was her extraordinary life. This woman's entire life was given over to issues of social justice. I met her when I was 17. The last time I saw Miss Baker was in her apartment in Harlem, what, 30 years later? Um, and Miss Baker was working with Arthur Connolly on the mass party, organizing, um, a political party, uh, for social change, for, uh, progressive ideas outside the two-party system. And, uh, going around the country, uh, organizing for the mass party. And, of course, Ms. Baker convinced me, uh, to become an organizer for the mass party. Well, I mean, this was years and years and years later, and she was really at the end of her life. Um, Her asthma and other health conditions were really affecting her. But, you know, there she was, scrappy as ever, determined as ever. Let us, you know, uh, get out there and uh, work on... Um, at organizing this mass party. No, you can't quit, because I a well, "Miss Baker, you know I have other things to do." No, you don't really. This is fundamental. Well, uh, in uh, an hour, even though I had gone to say, you know, I really I can't do all these things, um, she convinced me that I really could, and I looked at me this woman. Uh, she was still organizing. You know, at the end of her life, and um, so I, I think that's so important. It's not, you know, well, you can organize when you're young, but then you know when you get older, you forget about all those things. No, your life has to be, uh, has to be given over to that. Miss Baker used to say, "We who believe in freedom cannot rest." And I hear that resonating through my head when I look at the craziness that's going on in the world. How can anybody say, oh, well, I'm too old to do that? No, I mean, obviously, I'm not scaling barricades anymore. But there is still a lot of work that can be, can be done. And so right now, of course, my commitment is to, um, continuing uh, in the tradition of, of, of SNCC and in uh, the tradition of miss Baker
0: and so so the book you're referring to it's called Ella Baker, Baker and, and the, the black, black freedom, freedom movement, movement.
1: Um, a radical democratic vision mm-hmm. in Oh, yeah. Well, sorry. no.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm wondering. So, it's this is a book. Um, I know it was one of the the first books that people told me I had to read this, mm-hmm. uh, and and I'm I'm so grateful for that advice. Uh, and it's it's it it talk like you said. It talks about her life, uh, Ella Baker's life, and but it also it yeah it lays out you know what her what that tradition was that that mm-hmm. we might might seek to carry on now. And can you talk about you know what? what this book does well in terms of capturing that tradition and principles of Ella Baker. What, what, what sticks out as sort of what Ella Baker did and how she did it and what she stood for? Um,
1: it, uh, one of the things it does is in tracing her life from beginning to end because often we look at moments in people's lives, but we don't look at the whole life. If you don't look at the whole life, I always say if you look at Malcolm in one moment, you don't understand Detroit Red. But if you don't understand Detroit Red, you cannot really understand Malcolm and the Audubon Mower because you see the progression. And so this book shows the progression. It shows that uh, real political knowledge uh, comes through living it uh, and growing in political wisdom. You know, it is not something where you just kind of spring full-blown from the head of Zeus uh, overnight. uh, People are political authorities. That's just not the way it happened. Uh, Ms. Baker had worked for the NAACP. She had worked for SCLC. uh, And at the NAACP, uh, and make no mistake about it, there's a moment... Uh, in uh, the 40s and 50s when the NAACP in the South was the only game in town. uh, People were losing their lives for just uh, talking about the NAACP, let alone uh, joining it. And so uh, the NAACP, particularly in the South, was extremely important, but it was always a top-down organization. And um, Ms. Baker saw the real problems with what happens when you have this leadership hierarchy and everyone else is just uh, kind of peon scrambling around trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and, of course, she uh, worked for SCLC in its, um, in its heyday, Uh, But what she saw at SCLC was not only the top-down, but this terrible, terrible male supremacy.
0: And the SCLC is the Southern
1: Christian Leadership Council, which is Dr. King's King's organization. Organization. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't that she didn't have respect for Dr. King, she definitely did.
0: Can we cut this off just a minute? Mm -hmm. Hey everybody, Paige here, interrupting to announce An awkward moment uh, where things got cut off. But we're going to be back and Fanny Rasheen is going to uh, pick up talking more about Ella Baker. I mean, this is so amazing to hear you talking about being in, you know, Miss Baker's apartment. I just, I can't really fathom what it must have been like Mm -hmm. um, to know her. Mm -hmm. And what she, as a mentor, did she... Um, I have to reread this book. But, I mean, she worked with so many young mm-hmm. people. How involved was she? Completely. In your, like, she knew you and, and had a deep relationship with you mm-hmm. and hundreds of other folks.
1: And, and hundreds and hundreds of other folks. Oh. I mean, mm-hmm. And not only in the Civil Rights Movement, in organizing the mass party, she and Arthur Pinoy were the only old people. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was young. She really enjoyed being with young people, and she really enjoyed being in conversation with them uh because there was this exchange going on that mm-hmm. kept her young right, and it, it kept you just trying to keep up with her mm-hmm. <laughs> growing and developing uh one of. Um, One of the really important things about SNCC is the way that, um, it's not a question so much of competition, but of camaraderie. Uh, Because you were so marginalized from the rest of society, within the organization, just a real intensity began to develop um, among um, the various people in the organization. And if one person read something, well, you wanted to make sure that you'd read it too, right, Uh, (laughs) because otherwise, you know, you couldn't engage in the conversation. And frankly, uh, many times people were in situations where I mean, there really wasn't uh, a lot else that you could do, you know. And so you uh, took, uh, you created a social life within uh, the organization that was based on relatively simple things, such as conversation. And i am always... Um, amazed when uh, uh, I think about now the fact that conversation is becoming a lost art because of uh, all of the uh, personal relationships with uh, computers as opposed to human relationships. But um, Grace Lee Boggs who who died um, just a few years ago Grace Lee always said the most important thing in life was conversation and that it was through conversation um, that she learned her political life and she and her husband, uh, Jimmy Boggs, always made room uh, for conversation, hence their book, Conversations Mm -hmm. in Maine. Uh, But more and more, uh, I think it is a lost art, and I think it is important that we revive conversation. So what, you know, what you're doing with this project in, in many ways is um, a reviving of a model of conversation, which is so
0: important.
1: So um, just uh, going through uh, the book, and realizing the way, at each step, Miss um, Baker uh, took away uh, something that she then instilled within us in SNCC, uh, the importance of local leadership, uh, the importance of gender equality. Um, and um, I do not think that it is in any way unfair or unrealistic to say that uh, the women's, the contemporary women's movement was very much born in the room of Snick. Uh, that people began to not only question ideas about uh, racial inequality, but gender inequality as well. And uh, based on Ms. Baker's experience with this, this is something really very important to her. So it wasn't, you know, the theory first. What informed her theory was her life, as she had lived it in uh, these various organizations. Um, I think one of the things that this book does is to step by step show you the way in which her ideas, this radical democratic vision was formed. And indeed, it was a radical democratic vision and one that very few people had. And certainly, it wasn't something, well, you know, I read a couple of books and now I have a radical democratic vision. Uh, not at all. So, uh, what's important here? is the way that vision is traced step-by-step through each of uh, the movements uh, that Ms. Baker was involved in. I don't think um, uh, Bob Moses recently won a a MacArthur uh, Genius Grant not to take anything away from Bob Moses. Uh, He is an extraordinary human being, but he wouldn't be that uh, extraordinary had he not encountered Ella Baker and gone through, uh, I mean, we didn't call it mentoring then, but I mean, that's what you'd say now. But I mean, you didn't even realize that you were being mentored. Uh, You knew you were learning a heck of a lot but you didn't know that it had a formal name. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and I, I think you can see uh, a lot of, of that uh, in the book. So in relationship to why it's important, one of the messages or one of the things I took away from Snick st- was learning how to connect the dots. You know, we learned that, um, and again, not through abstraction but through actual work. We learned how to connect the northern and the southern movement. Uh, we learned uh, the nature of uh, racism on um, a national scale, and certainly we began to realize that it wasn't a localized phenomenon and started looking at the African liberation movements, for example. Um, none of that, uh, would have happened, uh, had we not come to realize through uh, the organization and the guiding of the organization by Ms. Baker, how to connect one thing to another. The United States is a phenomenal place in terms of isolating knowledge, isolating ideas. But putting things back together, not so good. And so we learned how to, yes, take something apart, but you got to put it back together. And um, so, um, that's why this book is so in- important to me. Because not only does it highlight the work of Ella Baker, but it lets you see why she was a unique individual.
0: And is there um, and. You know, let me know what books you definitely have passages you want to read. Mm-hmm. But is there because uh, we don't we don't have to do all of them. We can do as many as we want. But can you okay. kind of give us a sample of the book if there's anything that jumps out? Um, this is this is one where uh,
1: it, there is no way. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just it, it's way too. Uh, I don't know. She got it through. Because, you know, now publishers don't like uh, to publish uh, books with lots of pages Mm because they don't pay for them. So she got it through, but there is way too much in here. Uh, But uh, in the introduction, she says, uh, this is Barbara Ransby, this biography surveys Ella Baker's long and rich political career in an effort to explain the unique political and intellectual contribution she made to the movement for radical democratic change in America. I think that uh, we have become accustomed to thinking about democracy as one thing. There are many forms of democracy. Uh, and certainly what we tend to talk about is a bourgeois democracy that is rooted solely in the electoral process. That's not Ms. Baker's radical democratic vision. Ms. Baker's radical democratic vision was a democracy that allowed all people to be able to realize their full potential unfettered by any kind of racial or class barriers. So, that's why um, it's a starting point for me because it's a starting point for my political work. It's a starting point for my own intellectual development.
0: listening to another episode of the Lit Review, a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement. We are your co-hosts, Monica Trinidad and Paige May, two Chicago-based organizers. Special shout out to the Lit Review's very own sponsor, the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership out of Kalamazoo College. Keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next Monday, same time, same place. Want to hear about a specific book? Email us at thelitreviewchicago@gmail.com at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at Lit Review Shy. Keep reading!